Welcome to the Empathy Exchange Podcast, the show dedicated to helping seniors care staff and residents' families build relational connections based on trust, respect, and understanding as partners in care. To work together in the shared goal of providing the best possible quality of life and care for people living in seniors care, your residents and loved ones. So if you work in seniors care or you're a family member, this podcast is for you. I'm your host, Deborah Bakti. Welcome to episode five of the Empathy Exchange. And today I'm really excited to have a conversation with a a good and long-term friend of mine who's also experienced the journey of navigating as a family member through seniors care. I'd like to introduce you to Sandra Boyd. She is the Managing Director of Organizational and Talent Development at B. Riley Farber. Sandra brings over 25 years in the leadership and talent development space, spending the last 15 years in leadership roles for nationally recognized human capital firms. Sandra is the published author of two books, research papers, articles and columns in national and international magazines and newspapers. Sandra's key passion is helping leaders and employees elevate performance through connection. As I mentioned, Sandra's been a residence family member, and she actually had that experience with both her mother and her father. And she's currently on the path again with her husband's mom and dad, her in-laws. And Sandra's also the proud mom of two adult children. And we're going to be talking a bit about the sandwich generation demographic, particularly when we're kind of stuck in the middle, <laughs> so to speak, with trying to manage our kids and our, our aging parents' needs. So Sandra, welcome to the Empathy Exchange. It's great to be here, Deborah. Thank you for inviting me. Well, I also think that it's a great opportunity. Your experience in seniors care has been in the retirement and the assisted living sector. And I think that it's really important opportunity to just have a bit of an inside glimpse into your experience in that journey. So um, can you just share a little bit about what your experience was really, I guess, starting with your dad and then your mom, and then we can talk a bit about what your current experience is with your in-laws. You know, I realized, you know, as I was going through these questions this morning and thinking about being here and speaking with you about this, that I spend most of my career talking about people's careers and leadership and, uh, and, and very comfortably. So, however, I realize this is so fresh and so vulnerable and so intimate in, into, you know, a peek into my life. And I really need to say to your audience that, uh, this vulnerability can sometimes be hard. So I don't, I hope I don't get too teary eyed <laughs> uh, because it is fresh. Uh, my mother did just die in September. But my journey started actually in 2013 when my father got ill. We weren't too sure what was wrong, but we knew something was wrong with him. And my dad um, was a former boxer. He boxed for Ireland. And what we found out through all the tests and everything that he went through, that he had Parkinson and ultimately he died because of dementia. 
And at the same time, so 2013, my husband and I are trying to manage this. We recognize that my mother is extremely stressed out or what we thought was stressed out uh, with, you know, having to take care of my father and he liked to escape. And he was always going back to Dublin to see his mother. And um, that was a really big challenge. We had them in our home. Both my husband and I were working and we thought that was the best thing. You know, in the back of my head, my mother always said, I, I never want to go into one of those homes. Mm -hmm. And I think the, uh, the Irish guilt was playing constantly for me. And, you know, through a series of events and mishaps and trying to get care, um, it was actually our pharmacist who, because my mother was always confusing, losing the medication, who came to us and said, I'm really concerned about your mom. I think there's something else going on other than stress. And uh, I remember it was uh, 2015, we went to see the gerontologist and my mother was being tested. And, uh, you know, she was also looking after my dad and she came out and said, Sandra, could you step in for a moment? And gave us the news that both my parents actually had dementia. And at that point, I, you know, I'm thinking we both work. Um, you know, my son had just moved away. Uh, my daughter was uh, still in college. And uh, I thought, oh, my God, I don't know how I'm going to, to manage two parents, medication, doctor's appointments, and the stuff that goes on when you have parents that whether they're at the beginning or the middle or the end, it's just, it's a journey that you just ride the wave. And so... My dad died in 2017, and uh, and then my mother, whose the dementia didn't go in the same direction. Everybody's different, and I think that's something that we all need to understand. She was in; we put them in care, and uh, into uh, you know we recognize that my mother was okay, but uh, in August of this year, she was diagnosed with stage five um, kidney failure and subsequently died September the 30th. But what was ironic was the night that my mother-in-law actually fell on the Friday night and was taken to hospital, which was the first of three falls, which really put her dementia and moved it forward quite a bit, which happens with falls. But my mother went in on Saturday and never came out. So we've had a long journey of navigating the system and navigating the homes and healthcare just in general. Yeah. And as it stands right now, your mother-in-law, is she in hospital or is she back in the retirement home? It's a good question. She's still in hospital. She's had three falls, so she's been in and out of hospitals. And during the last couple of months, we've taken her from a retirement home in Oakville to a more of a memory care facility in Georgetown that my father-in-law can also be with her. To keeping them together is really important. They've been married for 70 years. They're both 93. They'll be 94 this year. And so she's down the hall, but she will be today. My husband's there moving her back right now to, to the home. So that's also, you know, getting them in and out of hospital and navigating, you know, the care between the hospital and, and the home is also, you know, that's a, it's, it's a hard part of, of this journey. It is. And a lot of what you've described is that emotional journey. 
And there's also some business savvy that's needed in order to, to work with and through and around <laughs> the system because there's lots of systemic challenges. You know, I tend to say that there's a knowledge gap with most families that they don't know what they don't know and it's not their fault. And I can recall over the years having a number of different conversations because you're the kind of person who always wants to be able to seek the knowledge to make the right decisions. And it's clearly from your business and your leadership experience in that. I'd like to talk a little bit about some of the expectations that you've had as a family member coming in mm -hmm. with, the, with the different relationships as a daughter and a daughter-in-law and what you found you were pleasantly surprised with and what were some of the things that really disappointed you because your expectations and reality did not line up? Yeah, a lot in there to, to unpack for, for sure. Uh, I first start by saying that although you know, I would consider myself a good negotiator, a business leader. You know, as you know, I'm voracious when it comes to reading and researching. It's part of what I do and part of what I love. But when you get into this, you come from a place of emotion and vulnerability and not knowing. And I think that's a place that I had to remove myself from and put on my business hat. So I'll start with the expectations. I guess when I first started, I believed everything. I'll just put that out there. <laughs> you know, whatever they told me because they were professionals and my emotions and vulnerability was just at a, a an all time high. And then you also feeling the sense of guilt I'm putting my parents in a home, um, even my mother-in-law, like what she's going, like there's just, you, there's so much guilt and you're exhausted from, you know, trying to get the diagnosis and all the rest of it. So my expectations were at the beginning that what they were telling me was in fact, that's how it was going to be, or that was the truth. <laughs> and so I had to adjust that by learning. I mean, it's trial and error. I would say that, you know, part of some of the biggest expectations was that when we put my parents in a home and even just recently my mother-in-law in the home, because I've got, we've got siblings involved and we've got all kinds of other relationships that yes. are involved in this. So that makes it complex. And even though everybody wants the same thing, they want your parents to be safe. They want them to get the best food, the best care, you know, all the rest of it. We all have the same goal in mind, but how we get there and navigate our emotions and navigate our knowledge is a different thing. The biggest things I realized was that the people that are getting you into homes are usually, you know, you're, you're paying, <laughs> even with, you know, even with my mother-in-law and memory care and all the rest of it, we're paying for that. So first of all, it's, it's, it's horrendous because it's either that or you wait uh, on a waiting list, you know, that 40,000 other people are on there and vying with their families to get into, you know, into a home that's subsidized. But I think the expectations is that I never set any expectations. I believed everything at face value. And what I would say to anybody that's listening to this call right now is, is ask, what can I expect from the home? What kind of care? How many hours a day? How many nurses? I would, you know, if there's anything that I could do all over, even for my parents in retirement, is ask more questions 
and set expectations and also let them know the expectations of who's going to show up in our family and have deeper conversations with the staff. It is a community onto itself. It has its own ecosystem and you become part of that community. And you need to know, you know, the cleaners from the cleaners to the PSWs to the nurses, they have backstories. And so understanding when you're decide making these decisions of who these people are and how they're feeling about their jobs and all the rest, that also becomes important. You said that you basically took what they said as the truth. So I'm curious if there's an example of something that you were told or sold that ended up not being actually your experience. Yes, I can give you the most recent uh, expectation is that when my mother-in-law fell, she fell first of all and broke her, t- her tailbone. Then she immediately fell right afterwards and broke her pelvic bone. And so we knew that the home where she was, the retirement home where she was, that we can't support the care that she's going to need. And of course, her dementia kicked in full. And so we can't support her. And so we started shopping around from homes and uh, we finally decided on one and they come in and they assess and they know, they know from the hospital, hopefully you think they know from the hospital, Mm -hmm. from talking to you, the level of care that, you know, that my mother-in-law was going to need. And this is not cheap. This is, this is very expensive. And uh, so our expectation was that they would be looking after her, knowing that she also has a habit. She's very strong. My mother-in-law, you know, up until a year ago, was walking 10,000 steps a day, was doing yoga every day, was playing bridge. I mean, incredible woman. And so this all changed, but she's always looking to get out of her chair or get out of the bed. And she's not aware that how easily she could fall. So when she went into the home, the first day she was in the home, And we were sure, oh, yes, we have all this care and we have extra nurses and our ratio is quite high. The first day she was in the home, they were phoning my husband and saying, oh, she keeps getting out of bed. (laughs) And my husband and I are going, well, that's why she's there, to be safe and to be looked after. And after the third phone call, and then the fourth was she fell again and is in hospital, I think at that point, we're going, this is no better than any other care uh, at the at the level that we're paying for. And we feel that she wasn't assessed properly. And we feel that they weren't didn't do their due diligence of putting an alarm on the bed. And we don't feel that what they promised was provided in the home. I think everybody wants to do their best. But the reality is they didn't tell us how short-staffed they were until they started phoning us to say, could you come and help out with your mother? And so I think that's that's the story Yeah, is, you know, is you, we should have dug deeper. Well, and the importance of really describing that knowledge gap. And there's a whole bunch of assumptions that we make that the information from the hospital is accurate, up to date, being passed over. The home has mm-hmm. had a thorough review of it. And sometimes when these moves are reactive because it's a crisis situation, then things are happening really quickly. But I think the real lesson and opportunity here is really highlighting 
And that's why it's important on this podcast and talking about the empathy exchange is having an empathy and understanding for both sides as to both sides are committed to the best quality care for your mother-in-law. It's how do we get there? And sometimes bringing that approach of clarification and understanding and sometimes as a care provider and our excitement to be able to welcome a new family and resident then sometimes that over-promising can happen without malice, but it can happen. And so I just think it's a really good example because that bad taste that's left in your mouth from that experience. And the other thing it does is, well, if they can't do this, what else can't they do? And then it takes out of that relational uh, bank account because now there's some friction in the relationship, which isn't helpful, right? Oh, I, I would agree. I, I think there's a gap between the sales process and the actual care process. And no matter where you go, no matter how much money that you're paying, what you need to know is that everywhere is short-staffed right now. So setting your own expectations and really asking what, you know, I think it's to get past the individual that is selling you the package and get to the people that are delivering the package right. is is most important. And I also feel too is, you know, my husband and I, because we've been on this journey since 2013 and, you know, other members of his family, this is the beginning of a journey. You know, like me at the beginning, they're always going, oh no, it's going to be okay. This is really great. Look at all the money we're paying. And and that equates to the best care. And it's not always that way. And um, I feel that 99% of the staff that are delivering the care are amazing. I'm in awe of them. But I do feel there's gaps in the system. And expectations have to be set on both sides. If you don't take the time to understand each other, and having read your book too was very helpful for me on my journey. If you don't take the time to understand each other, that's where the relationship actually falls down. And if difficult conversations and difficult questions aren't addressed right at the beginning and setting those expectations at the beginning, during and after, and I mean, even after, after someone dies, like I have had friends, I mean, I'm at that age and stage, friends whose parents have died and they need a week or two to process it before they clean out the room and they've shown up at the home and the furniture's been moved to the basement. Mm -hmm. And so so they can get somebody else in. So setting expectations through the, you know, from beginning to end, I think is really important. If you'd like to learn more about the work that I do in providing staff training, family training, or if you're also looking to redesign your admission process, you can find me at debrabakti.com. And you can email me at Debra at debrabakti.com and all that information will be in the show notes. The last thing I want to add to this conversation on that topic is when families can understand that that first six to eight weeks when they move their loved one, whether it's long-term care, retirement, assisted living, memory care, it's an adjustment period. And I think that just that awareness in itself, that there could be, maybe, likely be issues because your loved one's in a new environment. It's a big change for them. Sometimes it can be like a transfer trauma. And the yeah. staff are getting to know the likes and dislikes and patterns and, and also, too, sometimes 
residents are coming in and their medications being all wonky. Like I can speak with my mom. She was not managing her medications. And then you've got different doctors prescribing different things. So it's almost a bit of a reset uh, that they do. And that's where things can kind of fall off the rails a bit. So I think even being able to say that to a family, just so you know, the first few weeks, we're going to be trying to stabilize and there may be some wonky moments. And I think that if they had said that to you, Sandra, you would have been, okay, well, then a call isn't going to feel out of the blue. It's going to almost be expected and that there's still going to be some stick handling that we have to do back and forth, right? Adjustment Adjustment. for everybody, right? So it's adjustment for you as well. And, um, you know, I I would agree with everything that you said 110% because all of that is part of the process. The medication being, you know, especially when they're first going into care, if they're going from their home or from a retirement home where they're not actually administered the medication and they're not taking it properly. uh, Yeah, there's just so many, there's so many pitfalls in the transfers, especially. Yeah, I mean, if we... If we think about it from a business perspective, it's those risk points that need to be mitigated, yes. right? Yes, <laughs> absolutely. And that's, I think, you know, I think that started my journey of putting on my business hat and negotiating and thinking about things and thinking about different and putting on my coach hat, asking the extra questions and saying, so tell me more about that. And what else are you going to do? What other solutions do you have from this problem? What other person have you had that have had the same kind of symptoms and how have you helped them? And, you know, my parents, unlike my my in-laws, my parents didn't have as much money. So getting the care from the system was something that I, the extra care in the home was something that I had to do, um, uh, you know, and had to negotiate on a regular basis. Yeah. Yeah. So I've been on both sides of the fence. <laughs> yeah. So I want to switch gears and talk about the sandwich generation that you and I are both a part of, and particularly with the work that you do with leadership and talent development, and you certainly are connecting with all sorts of different people in different industries and sectors and different ages and stages. But this sandwich generation, so those of us with either kids at home or adult kids and our elderly parents, where both need a certain amount of support. I think it's a big lie when they say your kid turns 18 and they get off your payroll, right? Yeah, I, I think if they told many of us that, <laughs> we might we might have decided in different directions. It, it well, and it's not even financial. It's 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 the emotional support. It's it's all of that that you're still you're still a parent. You'll always be a parent. It doesn't matter how old you get. So, you know, as we're talking, Sandra, about the sandwich generation, I saw this on Twitter where somebody said. I was at drinks with girlfriends the other day, and by the end, we realized not one of us had really mentioned our kids, but all of us had discussed our parents. And then the person responded saying, really enjoying being able to stop worrying about my children and focus all my worry on my elderly parents. Doesn't that just capture it? (laughs) Right? That's what we're doing. We're talking about, well, either our health issues and our parents. I'm curious if in, I mean, your own experience, but also with clients that you're working with that may be in this place, and I think our demographic's only getting larger and louder about this, what are some of the challenges or struggles that you're hearing with this demographic dealing with both sides of that spectrum, and perhaps even any successes or tips that they would have and how to be able to support this demographic? 
So if I could start with maybe just a, a little bit of a personal story that's sort of, you know, when my my father was uh, my father was diagnosed, I mean, he immediately, he, as I said at the beginning, he was always escaping. And he actually went into uh, an Amber Alert. Um, and there was a, I was taking a lot of time off work. And, you know, I'm, I'm a leader in a business. I'm sitting on the leadership team. And I was just taking so much time. And I remember I'm in a meeting in a boardroom, a very, what was considered, you know, like a very important meeting. It probably wasn't, but I thought it was a very important meeting. And I looked down at my phone and I'm getting a call from my husband. I'm getting a call from my brother, a call from my sister and a call from the police. And then a call from CMHC, I think they called it then, just everybody trying to get a hold of me. And I realized, oh my God, I've just got off of, you know, taking time off because of my dad. And, you know, it, it just didn't feel like it was being accepted as if I was saying I had to take time off to look after one of my children. And so I literally in that meeting, I said, oh, I have a really important client that wants to speak to me. <laughs> I have to step out for a little bit. And I didn't want to say anything because I just felt that if I said something it would impact my career and what I learned, you know, in that, in that moment, my, my father actually had taken the car from the driveway and was gone for 12 hours and ended up, you know, we live in, we lived in Rockwood at the time and ended up in Scarborough. But what I recognized from that, and I started, when I started saying to people, I'm going through this, Wow oh my God, so am I. It was like the secret. And what I started feeling in back then, and I think we've gotten better now because there's more of us. You know, what I felt back then was you had to keep it under the radar because it was going to impact your career. And oh God, look at Sandra again. Like, you know, I feel sorry for her, but we can't, you know, we can't depend on her in her career because she's always running off to the hospital with her, you know, with her father or mother, and she's got all this going on and it's impacting her performance. And so you could feel that. And other people that I spoke to, you know, were feeling the same thing. So the support didn't seem to be there because we'd gotten to that point where we really understood, you know, parents had daycare issues and everybody was rallying around that. So fast forward, I feel that it shifted me as a leader also, because I remember as a younger leader, I was not very caring and understanding and empathetic <laughs> in regards to people that were running off to look after their parents. And, you know, fast forward to this, you know, to, to now, what I would say to all leaders that are dealing with people like this be very, very careful because your life can change in one phone call too, mm -hmm. whether it's an aunt, uncle, a mother, a father. And I think organizations have to recognize also that women have play a unique role in all of this in the workplace, that women are usually, I'm not saying all the time, I mean, my, I would say my husband's an exception to the role, but women are absolutely, for most part, whether it doesn't matter if they're sitting in the executive office or they're sitting anywhere else in the business, they're for the most part looking after all of this. They're dealing with the hospitals. They're running to take care of their parents so, and even their in-laws. And, and so organizations really need to recognize if I get a call from my parents' home, that I should be allowed to feel as comfortable saying, I've got to deal with this right in the moment. So the awareness 
I think is really important. Having more discussions around people that are taking care of elderly parents and, you know, because it's getting bigger and bigger by the day. So if you're going to be an organization to attract and retain top talent, you need to also start thinking about how do you support these people while they're going through this? And I have... I have individuals on my team that are actually also going through it as well. I feel like I'm much more enlightened because I've lived the experience, but I think there's some education that needs to happen. Here's what it's like. Uh, I think they need to hear corporate, you know, HR and other leaders who don't have never dealt with it, or maybe they're younger leaders. They need to recognize and hear the stories of what it's like to deal with elderly parents in the system, whether it's in the hospitals or getting them back into the home and how that impacts their lives. So that's, I think, awareness, education, empathy, understanding. Well, and we we know that over the next 20 years, the baby boomer demographics is only going to expand more and more. And I think the other thing that I pulled from what you just shared, Sandra, is when I think about staff working in seniors care and staff can have narratives about families and families have narratives about staff is that sometimes when families aren't there as often as the staff would like to see them there can be some judgment around oh they must be too busy and sometimes and that may have just been the narrative I was saying in my head but it's that understanding that sometimes it's not that family members don't want to be more engaged is that they've got a lot on the go. And managing a career can be a big part of that. So part of that empathy exchange is understanding for each other. And sometimes as families, when we're coming in, and we may be having a narrative that the staff just looks exhausted or not really into their job today, we don't know if they have elderly parents or childcare issues or other issues going on in their lives that if we just had a little bit of better understanding and grace for each other, it would really help in that relationship as well. Oh my God, Deborah! First of all, I just want to give a big shout out for anybody that works um, in the in, in the homes, whether it's long term or it's retirement homes. And you're absolutely right; it is a community, as I said before. Once you get to know people and you stop to ask them how their day is going, what's going on, you find out that half of them have. People, they have parents or family members in homes. It's, it's, it's absolutely incredible. They understand your pain. And top of that, they're exhausted with what they're doing every single day. It's exhausting. It's hard work. I knew everybody's story. I would stop and talk to everybody. My sister, the same thing. And wow, what a difference that makes because it's going to help you in the long run. But back to your original question in regards to that judgment of, you know, Sandra's not there as much. It was really hard when both my husband and I were working. You know, we'd be in the hospital or in the home or my mother would have an issue, my father would have an issue. We'd be on the phone going, okay, who's going to do it this time? <laughs> because there was only the two of us. My sister lived five hours away at that time. I mean, she has since moved here. My brother, for various reasons, was not engaged, although he lived closer. He was not engaged in, in the care. So it just came down to my husband and I, both full-time jobs, and then we have children. Mm -hmm. And so showing up, we did our best on the weekends, but it, it's, it, was, it was exhausting. There were some times when I had to say, I can't go this weekend because I'm so tired. And 
you want everybody to rally, but I think in a situation like this, everybody's doing the best that they can. And I could feel sometimes, not all the time, the eyes on me, like, okay, your mom's been really sick. Where have you been for the last week? And well, actually I was traveling and I was doing this and I was doing that. And even though I wanted to be here, I, I couldn't. And my husband was looking after, you know, our kids, our daughter. It's really complex and it's really complicated. And I would say that's why self-care is probably, I, I think we all have to start with that and learn and, and, and work from, from there. I said to my sister-in-law, who's just at the beginning of the journey right now with my with my um, in-laws, is that this is a marathon. It's not a sprint. And you have no idea what's going to happen from one day to the next. And so you have to you have to breathe and you have to take care of yourself on this journey. And part of the challenge that just comes to mind for me in that is that if we've never been through the journey before, we don't know what the disease trajectory is. And sometimes we can have unrealistic expectations about our loved one getting better. Uh, and then that puts pressure on the situation where it may be that this is the beginning of a slow downward journey and then how to deal with that emotionally. And so you're right. It's very, it's very complex. A final question for you, because uh, I tend to think of the moments that matter when we are in really an intimate relationship with those who've dedicated their careers to take care of our parents and spouses and loved ones, what was the most memorable and positive experience that comes to mind that you still feel grateful for? Oh, I hope I don't cry when I tell you this or talk about it. The first home that my mother was in, my parents were in, was not, you know, wasn't a good home. And then we went we put my mother in a second home. And if I could say the name, it's Stone Lodge in Guelph. And they were unbelievable community. When my mother got diagnosed, she loved it there. She actually came out of her shell. I almost some days felt like she didn't have dementia or she wasn't sick because she was so happy. She had friends and it was just, and the people there, and one of the nurses was Irish and and my mother's Irish and, and, and just the manager, uh, Cherry, like just the, the love and the kindness. And they were always there and they knew us and we knew them. And, and the day that my mother was being taken away, there was a gap getting my mother into palliative care and they literally looked after her. Um, and they were there constantly with us. So the day she was leaving and she was in the wheelchair and they were taking her out, they all came out. The cook brought her her tea. Mother drinks more tea than anybody you can ever imagine. Even though she was at the end of her life, she still had to have a cup of tea and they knew it because they would bring her cups of tea, the tea and her, her favorite treats. And they all gathered around and um, came out. They were there for us. They were for my mom. And, uh, and they phoned us constantly to see how she was. And they were invested. And when we went to say that she had passed, they were all in tears. They had lost somebody too in their community. So you can't underestimate how they're feeling about what's going on. And they have their 
they have their relationship, like relationships that sometimes was better than I had, than my sister and I had when my mother was driving us absolutely crazy with, with, with her demands or, you know, they were, they were there to be much more patient. I mean, daughters and mothers have complicated relationships. So that caring and that kindness was, it was a gift. Yeah. Well, thank you, Sandra, for sharing that. And and I, it is hard and it is fresh. And I just so appreciate your vulnerability and your openness to sharing your experience. And with most families, there's the ups and the downs, but it really truly is the incredible work of staff that make those moments that matter. And I think that's a good place to end our conversation for today. So thank you so much, Sandra. Thank you, Deborah. <laughs> And remember, there is power in your presence, so make your presence matter.